Have you ever felt surprised or unprepared when things change in the world of social media? We felt the same way. We were tired of reacting to constant changes in marketing, algorithms, and consumer behavior, so we found a better way. Scan Club has been our secret weapon for over a year now, and we're excited to finally be sharing it with you. This approach has helped us future-proof our strategies and feel less reactive. It's not a crystal ball and it doesn't allow us to predict everything, but it's helped us level up our work and collaborate more than ever before. So how does it work? Twice a month, you'll get a copy of Scan Club right to your inbox. It's our breakdown of the top signals we're watching and why they matter. You'll learn to spot these signals, understand their impact, and produce your content with confidence. Get the feature in your inbox. Click the link in our description to subscribe today. I think any agency should view their quality assurance process as just kind of like a work in progress. And uh, it just becomes more and more robust every time you make a mistake. Mm -hmm. But the worst thing you can do is make a mistake and not change your process because you're just setting yourselves up for future failure. Welcome back to Waves, powered by Arcade, a show for marketers, creators, and entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. We're your hosts, Mike and Mitzi. This week, we're doing something a little different. Instead of having a guest on to interview, we're going to be asking each other some questions that we've gotten from our audience and some from our clients. We're going to discuss a few things that we're hearing as an agency in our Scan Club segment. And then we're also going to talk about our favorite moments in pop culture and internet culture. Um, And honestly, it's just been a long year. So today we just wanted to take it easy. And it's that time. If you're in marketing, you know it's the most wonderful time of the year when we burn the candle at both ends. Strategists double as copywriters. Interns earn their stripes. We all collectively hold our breath and pray that the Facebook pixel is installed correctly. Yeah. We're getting we're getting there. Q4 is crazy, but hopefully this show or this episode will breathe some levity into your week. Um, if you're looking for like the denser interview stuff, we have like a full season of content that you can binge, go back in previous episodes and check them out. Um, but before we get into our questions, what's up with you? Mostly sports. Sports is like my escape from all the craziness, you know? Mm. What about you? It's strangely been my escape too, which is so odd. I've talked about this a little bit on Tea for Lunch, but I have never really been into sports, especially football. And since you and I have been together, you've been into fantasy football and like so intense about NFL, like literally our our whole time together. And I've never once like really cared that much until now. And it's all because it's not because of you. It's because of HBO and Hard Knocks. Like that game, that show has really changed things for me. And I am a Jets fan. Well, I feel like I am. I'm more like a Jets bandwagoner, but I feel like a Jets fan. Hey, if you can cheer for the Jets when Zach Wilson is the quarterback, then you aren't just a bandwagon fan. I have faith in him. I feel like I'm so invested in the story of like him having to like jump in and take the spot as a quarterback from Aaron Rodgers getting injured. Like I'm so invested. I just need to see that they like make it to the playoffs and I need to see that Aaron Rodgers comes back and recovers from his injury and like takes it home. Like I just feel like it's such an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. They're four and four after last night. They didn't look great last night, but if they can hold it all together, I feel like they have some reasonable matchups coming up that are like winnable. So 
Um, and also at some tea, I saw that Aaron Rodgers was talking to one of the opposing players yesterday after the game against the Chargers. I think it was Derwin James. And uh, James asked him when he's coming back, and he said, give me a few weeks. Hey, uh, he's so coming back. It could be sooner than we expect. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. And it was Who's so going to come first, Aaron Rodgers or Santa Claus? That's the question. <laughs> That's interesting. Did you see that on a meme somewhere? I just made it up right now on the spot. Wow, you should make it. You told me to meme. come correct like, today, so. <laughs> I feel like that would go viral. I would reshare that. All right, say less. It's so crazy because I'm so new to this, like, NFL fandom. Yesterday, me and another friend, Taylor, who's actually been on this podcast before, Taylor Loren, she's also kind of a football newbie, but we had a little friendly wager on last night's game, which is against her team, the LA Chargers, and my team, the New York Jets. And I feel like I went through the feeling of like what a true fan feels like when their team is like, you know, they could do better and they just like, they just did terribly, and obviously I, I lost, like, really badly, so I had to send her a little Starbucks gift card um, because the winner, or no, the loser bought the other person coffee, but I feel like that was my first, like, wow, am I a true fan? Like, I'm first time having skin in the money game. on it? Yeah. yeah. Like, which is something you feel every day because you're in, fan, like, nine fantasy leagues. Yeah, and I feel like because uh, we're married and we obviously have a shared like a vested interest in our finances. I feel like I'm always, I always need have this responsibility to report to you how well I'm doing in my fantasy leagues, um, which is self-inflicted. You don't give me that impression, but I'd Thank just like to say that I'm pretty good at fantasy football. I'm above 500 in all of my leagues and in the top three in most of them. So I got some, I don't know I got some what chances above 500 at means. 500 is when you're like even wins and losses. So like four and four or five and five. So Yeah, I think you should just consider any money that you spend on fantasy a wash. Like it's 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 not it's okay. Like you can have hobbies. Like my hobbies are expensive too. And it's okay for you to just spend money on your hobbies. Man, you're making all the (laughs) boyfriends and husbands jealous out there right now. If anyone wondered if I married up, now they got the proof. Well, that's nice. You're too good to me. Yeah, it's been really fun to like follow NFL. I feel like it's also confirmed to me that fantasy sports is so not for me because I I can handle watching one team a week play one game. But I am not nearly invested enough to watch every single game and then different players on different teams. Like sometimes your players are playing against each other in the same game or in multiple games at the same time, like that's too much. Or How if do you I have keep this, track of that? If I have a few players in a couple of my leagues, but then I'm against them in a couple other leagues, then like, do I cheer for them or do I not? You know, it's it is stressful, but um, it's still fun. I, and we don't have to keep talking about sports, but I think the last thing I'll say, speaking of the Jets, is can we just get a little bit of justice for Robert Sala, the head coach of the Jets? We were talking I about this last him. night. And uh, he's such a good dude, and I feel like he's a player's coach, but I feel like the media just does him dirty, especially during the games. Like when things are going bad or they just can't catch a break, I feel like they've always got that like full zoom like right on his face, watching his every facial expression. And uh, yeah. I feel like they don't do that with most other coaches. It's weird. They don't. Like most coaches, it's like full crop. Like that's just – it's like normal. But with Robert Sala, if they like – mess up if the team like is doing really bad their crop is like this 
Oh my god. Oh man. <laughs> just drop well, the mic, point but made. it's like right up there. It's just too much. It's too intense. Also, I love him because he took a chance on football like later in his life. Did you know that his brother escaped one of the twin towers 9/11 and it like changed his life and it made him like reevaluate all of his life choices. And he was previously in finance, but he always loved football. And so that was like the catalyst that made him want to pursue a career in football. Wow. So that's a crazy story. Yeah, I feel like if you need a sign, go do what you love, people. And he also runs the stairs at the MetLife Stadium every day before a game. Like, couldn't be me. Like, he's setting such a good example for his team. Last thing about him, he's got nice facial hair. I feel like he hasn't had facial hair all season until the last couple of games. And it's just like so full and like even and consistent. I couldn't be me. I feel like I really got to work to make you it look like I don't have patchy facial hair. <laughs> well, don't say that because now people are going to look it's and a gift, notice. gift for the people on YouTube. Okay. So I think what we should do is make a deal is 2024, we go to New York, see a Jets game. And then... At the end of the month, you come with me to see the Renaissance concert movie. I'm there. You already you told me about this, and I'm in. I'm down. I feel like I would love to go to a Renaissance tour or like a Beyonce concert anyway, but I, it's also kind of like the thing you do with your girlfriends, you know? Yeah, no offense, so but I— I can get the movie. I don't. Yeah, you could, we can do the movie together, but— Yeah. It's not that I don't think you wouldn't appreciate the concert. It's just like funner to go with my friends. Yeah, I want to go. I still want to go to a Drake concert. Who's on your hit list other than Beyonce? No one. Destiny's that's Child. It, that's the list. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's possible. Um, I don't know. I actually would have loved to see Usher, uh, Usher's Vegas residency. I feel like all the clips that I saw were really good. And he's going to play the Super Bowl. So we'll get a little taste of it. But he's yeah. such a good performer. And he has like such good throwbacks. Like I feel like I'd really vibe. I feel like Silk Sonic would be the other one for me. That'd be so sick to see Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars. Yeah, I, I think like beyond that, I'm just not a huge concert person. Same. I'm on the same page. Like I can appreciate live music when it's there, but I'm not like chomping at the bit to get like tickets for anyone unless I, I really like love them. Um, and I enjoy a concert when I'm there. I just, I don't know. I'm just, I don't think about it. Yeah. I, I, go, I always go to concerts not expecting to be like really engaged. Like I'd prefer to just sit and observe. But then I feel like often I am pleasantly surprised and I end up getting like pretty invested. Like even when we went to Montreal last year, um, I didn't have high expectations when we went to the Maluma concert. I knew he was a great performer, but I just expected to just kind of watch. But we were on our feet the entire time for like four or five hours. And it was a highlight yeah. of our trip. And like all of his songs were Spanish and you were in it. Yeah. Unreal. It was so good. J Balvin would be the other one on my list, actually. I would see Bad Bunny. I know. <laughs> We've talked about this before. I'm like, J Balvin's so cool. And you're like, but Bad Bunny. But I don't know. I love J Balvin's just a little bit more cool and collected. And I feel like Bad Bunny is like very extra. Hype. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. His SNL, credit to him for SNL. He did very really a good. fantastic job. So other than that, other than watching sports and NFL, I don't really have much going on. I mean, it's such a crazy time of year. I'm also planning our Christmas, our holiday party, which is a big highlight for me every year. I try to my best to do something different. I have a different venue every year. Still really good vibes, good food, great decor. 
So that's going to be really fun for me. And somehow every year they get more and more expensive. (laughs) I wonder how that goes. Yeah, I mean, inflation, hello. But also I feel like there's this like, there's this idea that we need to level it up every year, you know, because the last two have both been bangers. They've both been very unique from each other. And for our listeners that haven't heard us talk about our holiday party before, our arcade holiday party is like really a moment for our team. Like some of our teams in Calgary, some's in Vancouver. Um, we got a lot going on throughout the year. And that's the kind of one time of year we're all together and we really like run it up and have a good time. So yeah. and we're flying in our Vancouver team. Yeah. So it's going to be special. And I think I like what you said about trying to make it different. I feel like that's been the key is like, not that we have to one up it every year, but we just make it unique to that year, change it up a little bit. Don't get stagnant in the same old kind of things, you know? Yeah. I think it's going to be really fun. I'm I'm still like in the, in the middle of like the big planning stuff. So it feels like kind of like stressful right now, but I know it's going to be a great night. I already have my outfit. Yeah, I don't. But shout out to Danny Anderson who helps us do it every year. And literally it would not be the same without her. Yeah, she's amazing. She makes, she brings all the pieces together, has all the like little details that I wouldn't think of. It's amazing. Yes. Is there any like singular detail that you can leak about the holiday party coming up on this show? Or do we literally have to keep it in a vault? Hmm. Okay, I can leak that the theme is... I don't know if I should say it. Just leak it. I feel like it's <laughs> going to get published after the team gets their invites. Right, right. The theme is rich bitch. <laughs> I did not think that's how you were going to refer to it. I thought it was going to be apreski. Yeah, it's like apreski rich bitch. Wow. I prefer apreski, to be honest. Not just because I'm a <laughs> salty dog. Just a freaking traditional old man over here. But rich bitch is extra. But you're I know. The- it's not... This it's is not your very party. Corporate. <laughs> yeah. Did HR okay, approve maybe this? I need, <laughs> maybe I need to workshop that. Well, like Apri Ski doesn't like capture it fully, you know? Like Apri Ski could be like at a ski lodge. Like it's not like fancy enough. Okay. <laughs> we can workshop that. Well, we got a few days until the invites go out so we can we can. No, they're going out today. All right, ship it. It is what it is. Ask for forgiveness, <laughs> not permission. Exactly. That's the concept. Hopefully it doesn't make it in your performance review. (laughs) I would love if it did. Imagine you and I gave each other performance reviews. Maybe that should be a podcast episode. I'd be scared. I'd be scared going into that. I'd be scared to give you a performance review from me? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was like, (laughs) you'd be scared to give me a review. You give me reviews all the time. You don't appreciate my feedback often. (laughs) No, I don't like being told what to do. But that's why I'm an entrepreneur. True. You know what? I'd rather fall flat on my face, then be told, don't do that. Can confirm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good thing we're not giving each other performance reviews. Um, That's true. Anything else from you, Mitzi, before we get into our listener questions? No, I think we're good to get into it. We're going to dive into some listener questions here. We picked three specifically that we've been sent multiple times on our social media channels. If you're not already following us, there's two ways you can do so. Wave Social is like purely dedicated to the podcast content. You can reach us there. Or you can check us out at Hello Arcade, which is our agency account. We're also very reachable there. So whatever you prefer, if you follow one or the other already, just hit us up. Or really, realistically, if you're a fan of the show, just follow both and leave us a review. Literally. Like do it all, you know? Just subscribe, really show us that you care. like, comment. Tell a friend. And get it tattooed. Leave a review. You know? 
so much. Cool. Do you want to take us into the first question? Um, I think you should. So the first listener question that we've received a few times is an interesting one. It's, what should you do when a social media client starts posting on their own? Yes. So if you don't know our agency, one of the services that we provide is we do social media management, which basically means we own their social channels from producing content to writing captions to scheduling to posting to replying to comments, everything in between. We own that start to finish. And this question came from someone who also does the same thing in their own agency. Oftentimes, um, most clients, when they're paying for a service like that, they're very hands-off because they're obviously paying experts to do that instead of them doing it. But of course, there's the odd time where posts go out there and you're like, hey, did you post this? I didn't post this. Who posted this? And it turns out that the client posted it and it happens. So I think for us, when it does happen, we use it as an opportunity to talk through about that post and ask questions about why they wanted it posted, what's important about that post. Is it like something that's coming from a stakeholder? Is it promoting an event? Is it promoting a promotion that needs to go out? Just basically trying to understand, is there information that we don't have or is there urgency applied to that post that we didn't know about so that we can better do that for next time? And then we also want to clearly communicate to the client that like we'd love to own all of that start from start to finish for them and be their partner. So it's important for us to know what's happening on the client side so that we can have all the information we need so we can properly build out a content calendar around it. So I don't think it's anything that needs to be really contentious. Um, It's just an opportunity to have a conversation, ask more questions so you can better serve them and learn for next time. Is there anything that you would add to that? I think we have really learned to look for symptoms of like dissatisfaction or misalignment. And often I feel like this kind of thing could be a symptom. And that's not to say that, you know, it's like really critical or you're you're on the brink of like losing that client or anything like that, but it's good to get in front of it like you've suggested. Um, And I think in that, in a situation like that, and this might bleed into our next question a little bit too, it's really understanding um, where, if there's like miscommunications that are happening or if there's a perception from the client side that we can't accommodate their need in that specific situation, like would we, do they feel we wouldn't be fast enough if it's like a timely, a timely post or do they have a specific vision that they think we can't meet in terms of like what it should look like or how it should sound? Or is it more almost like a active rebellion? Like they feel like ever since they started working with an agency, they don't, own their social accounts anymore and they want to just kind of assert their, their like the fact that they do that this is their brand and their company and they want to be able to just kind of show that they can do what they want with it. Any of those things are things that we can address, but it's always good to get to the root cause and be able to clarify like, Hey, we have the same objective here. We view this with the same, like, um, kind of like seriousness or sanctity. Like we have, we, our standards are the same and actually we can be pretty quick, you know, that we like plan ahead with other stuff so that they were able to accommodate quick last minute requests or urgent needs. And this is how we would do it in the future. Um, so please bring it to us. And mm-hmm. often, I think more often than not, um, to your point as well, like that'll probably be the last time that happens once we kind of address it. But if not, if it continues happening after that, then it's probably more so going in the direction of, okay, we need to ask ourselves the question, is this the right 
agency client fit? Is this something that we maybe need to separate ourselves from and just let them do what they want to do and make space for other clients that we'll have better um, or communicative relationships with? Right. The sanctity piece is so important, like treating it or making the client know that you really care just as much as they do about every single post that goes out, whether it's on feed or stories or TikTok or whatever, that like that matters to you and you notice that. And like your goal, like you said, like you have the same goal is to produce the best content, to make the most impact and do the best social programming possible. So if you can make sure that you're clear about that. And sometimes I feel like people aren't direct about that. Like even saying that to the client, like my goal is to make your account the best it could possibly be. It just helps them like, like feel at a little bit at ease. I think when we have had those direct conversations. Yeah. And I think moments when things don't go the way we planned, or there's a little bit of adversity, those can feel like obstacles or even like unfortunate circumstances but really we have the ability to like reposition our thinking to be like okay this is an opportunity actually to like get closer to this client to like strengthen Mm -hmm. our relationship to even like more secure the future with them and our work for sure um but it's completely an attitude and like a tone thing in that moment for sure speaking of challenges we should jump into our next question um how do you handle tough client feedback or when a client is disappointed with something that you do? I love these kind of questions and I love talking about them as a team because I think what you do in moments like that is really what separates and differentiates your company from others. Because most, to be honest, even though we're all adults here, most agencies, most creative people, um, many service providers aren't good at receiving feedback, um, especially negative feedback, especially when it's direct, especially when it maybe has to do with an error or an oversight on your part. That's hard. We've never liked that. Um, but I think when you can figure out, especially if you're in client services um, or like sales or you're an account manager or business development, however, there's many different ways to names for the same kind of work. But um, if you can master the ability to resolve conflict and make your client feel like you're good at receiving feedback and actioning on it, then again, that like really positions you for long-term future success and actually trust. I think there's a lot of client agency relationships out there that are very transactional and maybe in some cases fruitful, but still lacking trust. But the ones that really last a long time and like make a difference both for the client and the agency are the ones that are established on trust and um, kind of this like mutual sense of uh, ownership. So all that to say, how do you handle it? Um, I always say that we need to first acknowledge it. You know, often they can come in a little bit hot, like, how did this happen? I can't believe this. This is really serious. And the last thing that they want to hear is pushback on that. So we always start by acknowledging we totally understand, we agree. This is not something we want to see repeat itself in the future. We, whatever it may be, we've done an assessment of why it happened. And this is why it happened. And we accept that, you know, it's as serious as you say it is. And then the next thing would be to identify the next steps, you know, like, after you've acknowledged the fact that it wasn't an, an error or a miscommunication, what are we going to do about it? 
making it really clear and concise and making them feel like you're moving really quickly. And then once you've established next steps and they're aligned with it, then I would take it even further and say, this is how we're going to avoid it in the future. So not just how are we fixing it in the moment, but what are we going to do long-term to make sure that these things don't recur? And that's what we call quality assurance. And I think any agency should view their quality assurance process as just kind of like a work in progress. And uh, it just becomes more and more robust every time you make a mistake. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing you can do is make a mistake and not change your process because you're just setting yourselves up for future failure. For sure. I think urgency is so important here, like making sure that you move quickly to re- like act on their feedback is super important. So even if it means sometimes for us, like we shelve other projects, we drop pencils down, jump into this thing. It happens. It's part of the agency grind. So I think if we can like move quickly and do all those things that you shared, it really helps like them to feel like their concerns really matter to us. So I think if you're dealing with that, just like jump in as quickly as you can. Yeah. I think one additional layer that I'll add to just as I'm thinking about it in the moment I I feel like there can be a tendency, even if you do those three things, acknowledge, identify next steps, and then share how you're going to mitigate it in the future. Um, even amidst that, it's easy to kind of rush through it and kind of try to, as quickly as possible, sweep it under the rug or put it behind us, you know, like, okay, that's done. We don't have to talk about it anymore. But I think that can also, even if you've done the first three things correctly, if you have this sense of like, okay, let's just move on from this and the client picks that up, then that can almost tarnish the first three things that you've done because um, it's imp- like, like I said, it's important to them. It matters to them and it hurt, you know, it, like they felt the the pain of that mistake. So um, being able to be comfortable with like sitting in the discomfort a little bit and making sure like they're aligned, there's a clear plan, everyone understands. We've talked about it as much as we need to. Um, for them to feel confident in the solution as well, then move on. Um, I think that can go a long way, like what we kind of said about question one in really actually strengthening the relationship, not just patching up the hole that was created or like fixing the mistake or adding a Band-Aid or whatever analogy you want to use, but actually like giving them the confidence that, okay, if a mistake happens in the future, this is the team to fix it. And I know that they're going to keep getting better as we go. Um, so I can view even sometimes I can view errors or miscommunications as a step in the right direction because we're going to continue evolving together. Yeah, which is like so hard. Like I think for me, that's one of the hardest things. Like I've definitely been on calls where you just kind of like to take it in the chin and sit in that like uncomfortable moment where you're like the client's disappointed. You messed up. There's nothing else you can say except I'm sorry. We're going to do better. Here's what we're changing. Let's do it now. And it does take some time to recover that. It's like any relationship you're in where if you mess up, you kind of have to like take the heat a little bit before you can move past it, which sucks. I know. And really there should only be an apology in the first step in like acknowledging because like the other thing you don't want to do is cheapen your your apology. Right. Um, and I think it, we all have the tendency when something goes wrong and it's our fault to be overly apologetic, to overly explain, and to kind of keep revisiting that and also to talk really quickly, you know. So the more we can slow down, take a deep breath, apologize and acknowledge at the beginning, but then move to the solution, 
um, without revisiting that apology, um, the more, again, confidence our client will have in the future and the more value that apology will hold if you need to use it again um, rather than just like saying it over and over again. Yeah, that's the hard thing about being in an agency like environment. It's like so people like it's people management and like managing relationships. It's so much of that, which is not easy. Yeah. And like you often say, like really agencies are held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. Like obviously you don't want mistakes in any context, but it seems that like internally in a within a company mistakes are expected. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to a service that you've outsourced to an expert, whether it's an individual or a team, you typically have a higher standard of excellence and less patience for mistakes or miscommunications. Totally. And sometimes when I feel like there's a higher standard for an agency as opposed to like an in-house team, I feel that sometimes when a client is disappointed with something that you've done, they almost like need to apply that pressure so that like a little bit more intensely so that it's really clear like this is a relationship that could go away. It's almost like, it's not, it's not like, it's almost like posturing. And I don't want to say like posturing in a way that's like uh, insincere. It's, it's just that you have to make it known to your partner that this is like a serious offense. And so sometimes being on the other side of it, you just got to take it and do what you can and then move on. It's hard. Yeah, it, yeah, it is hard. Got to take it on the chin sometimes. Yep. Our third question here, I think, would be great for you to lead out on. Um, it's a common question that we get, but how do you tell a client that their ideas are bad? Um, as indirectly as possible. So, like we just mentioned, client relationships are like important relationships. Like you do have to manage them with care. So sometimes when we do have a client who comes and has an idea, I love to be on calls where we can discuss it. So if it comes through like on Slack or an email, I usually say, this is so interesting. I'd love to like ask more questions about this or learn more about this on our next call. Can we add this to the agenda or whatever? And then when I do have the chance to kind of chat through it with them, I think my questions start by understanding where this idea is coming from. Like, are they trying to generate more sales? Are they trying to appeal to a new demographic? Are they trying to, you know, just like trying to understand what their goal is with this idea. And then I'll probably just try to like redirect as best as I can and understand like it, it does take some quick thinking of like, how can we achieve what they're hoping to achieve, but redirect our efforts to achieve that in a different way. So oftentimes like getting from a bad idea to a good idea just takes a few steps of tweaking. So it maybe it's like, you know, tweaking like how we're doing this or the message that we're saying, or maybe it's like copy that needs to be worked on or something like that. And usually I'll say like, I think, there needs to be some work done in this area, but this there's potential here. What if we do, and kind of like frame it as like a brainstorm rather than a flat out no, um, because you want to be delicate. Like there's obviously like ideas are coming from, I, as an emotional person, my ideas are emotionally led and they often like it's hard when someone shoots them down. So as best you can, you want to try to work with it. It's almost like clay or like, let's mold this together into something that makes sense. And then always leaning back into like, what's their bigger goal? And as long as you and the client are aligned on the big goal, then I 
like there's always a way to find a middle ground, but it's just like takes a bit of tweaking to get there. Yeah, it's almost like improv rather than a debate, you know, like building off totally. of what they're putting in front of you rather than like having a re- preparing your rebuttal, you know? Yeah. And ask questions in a way that's like sincere and not like leading. Like sometimes as someone with ha- has ideas and sometimes gets sh- shot down, um, it's it's kind of frustrating when someone like asks an idea or ask a question about your idea, like trying to get you to like, like walk away from the idea or like get you to, I don't know. Acknowledge that it's not the best idea kind of thing. Yeah. It's like you want to like work with them, like being sincere and work with them to get to where you need to go. That makes a lot of sense. I honestly don't have a lot to add to that. I think that you're really good at this and um, I, th- I think we've, es- you've es- especially established that kind of sensibility in our team internally obviously every client is different so some of them are going to be better at working with us collaboratively on a, on an idea whether it was originally theirs or originally ours um, but I mean as you mature as a company or as a service provider too you have a bit more of luxury around which clients you work with and not having to take everyone that comes along and you kind of begin to recognize the characteristics of a person or leader or team that is likely to be more collaborative rather than adversarial. Um, And those are obviously the more um, ideal client fits for sure. Yeah. It's a fun ride, isn't it? Oh yeah. Always something. Always (laughs) Always something going on. That's it for questions, right? Yeah. Those are the three questions. If you have any other questions that you'd like us to tackle for our next solo episode, feel free to share them with us on social media. You can send them to us via DM at Hello Arcade or at Wave Social on Instagram or TikTok. Slide into our DMs. The other thing that we've been really excited to talk about on this episode, we haven't talked a lot about in previous Waves episodes, is Scan Club. And uh, we're, we're wanting to just kind of introduce the practice of scanning and talk about a, a few fresh signals that we've been noticing recently. But if you're not familiar with Scan Club, basically um, it's our practice that we've established with our creative director, Alyssa, who's been on the show before. Um, we really felt tired, like many of you probably do, of reacting to the constant changes that are always happening in the marketing space and even in the way consumers behave So we set out to just kind of find a better way to stay on top of things. So now our team meets regularly to discuss signals and what these can mean for the future of social media, uh, even content types and advertising practices. And essentially, like signal is not just a buzzword. A signal is the first sign of something new. So we're constantly on the lookout for um, little hints at things that could be changing could be an unexpected product, could be a new way of doing things, it could be an advancement in tech or really noteworthy event that happened, even a significant data point or emerging organization. Um, but we always say the kind of framework that we always follow is that it should be current, it should be surprising, and it should be specific. Or specific. Or specific. Signals have the potential to gain widespread acceptance and popularity. So this these can point to things that often end up in people's trend reports, for example, and um, we want to be early to these rather than late. So what may seem outlandish or even unconventional right now when we're paying attention to what's happening could in the future become a common part of our lives. 
Um, I think the perfect example is just the rise of AI in the last year, especially. Totally. That really accelerated quickly. So Mitzi, what kind of things do we scan? Yeah, we scan anything that's going on in culture, marketing, media, social media, technology, anything of that sort. Basically, it allows you to start to think critically about what the future could hold instead of having to react to a trend, be part of like seeing it coming so you can like better future-proof your marketing strategies. So this practice actually, like you mentioned, Alyssa, she's a futurist and she's taught us these practices. Like it's a practice that futurists use. So it's really fun to do that. So we're going to talk about some signals that we've been spotting. Um, you can learn more about these signals in our newsletter called Scan Club. You can subscribe at arcadearcade.ca under newsletter, um, and you can get all these signals straight to your inbox and more every other week. So the first one we're talking about, do you want to introduce it, Mike? Yeah. Many of you, just knowing a little bit about our listeners, have probably seen this in the last couple of weeks, but... Um, Skims, the shapewear brand founded by Kim Kardashian, recently launched menswear. And then following that, after having some really notable global athletes in their launch campaign, um, they announced a partnership with NBA. So um, obviously, we would spend a lot of time at the beginning of this talking about sports and how it's a bit of an escape for us. But we've also really been tracking closely um, how much sports continues to accelerate in terms of its connection to the fashion space, pop culture in general, even like hip hop, things like that, and just celebrities as well. And also we've also we've seen content around how sports is, could also continue to accelerate because in a world where um, we're ha- we're beginning to have more and more control over the outcome, sports is one of those few spaces that, um, really the outcome is up for grabs. You know, it's, it could go any direction. So yeah, this was has been exciting to watch. We've talked about it a little bit in other contexts. But what do you think, Mitzi? Yeah, I think this is super interesting because like you mentioned, we've been seeing the rise of sports. This actually started, we saw a signal back in July when the co-founder of Reddit, his name's Alexis O'Hanahan. He's also married to the none other than Serena Williams. But he said that he thinks that sports is going to see a rise in popularity because it's so true, real, and human in a world of like algorithms and AI and programming that feels like really produced just for you based on your viewing behavior or entertainment preferences. Sports is human and unpredictable and reality. And it's simple. There's a winner, there's a loser, and there are rules. So because of since then, we've seen sports intersect with celebrities, with pop culture, with like other niches that it hasn't previously intersected with. And this Skims um, and NBA partnership is just one example of sports colliding with celebrity in a very in your in your face kind of way. And that's another reason and another driver that we think is why sports is having such a big moment right now. And then we've seen a lot like a lot of huge networks like the Netflixes and like HBO, they've invested a lot in sports programming because they're seeing that rise of interest. And so we think that there's just going to be more and more of that. Like we saw the Beckham documentary, which everyone seemed to be talking about. That was really huge. And that was a great intersection of like the celebrity and sports and pop culture and and all of that kind of colliding into one show that everyone got to 
enjoy. So I think for us, when we think about 2024 and what that's going to look like, I think we should all be prepared to see more collisions between sports and celebrity and pop culture. And then also think about how and if it makes sense for us to integrate some of the sports kind of like moments into our marketing. Um, it could be as simple as like a meme, but it could also be more in, t- in depth or intense, like a partnership or, you know, like a sponsorship or something like that, because I think there's going to be a lot more of that coming in 2024. Amazing. You really framed that well. Do you want to take us into our next one? I feel like there's some good stuff to unpack in, the, in this other signal. Definitely. So Gen Z and Sonic branding. We've talked about Sonic branding a little bit in the past on this show. We have an episode about it if you want to dive deeper into that. Um, But basically what we're seeing is that custom Sonic branding, this article calls it brand beats. Um, People are starting to embrace these custom produced sounds and starting to create some brand recognition between those sounds and the brand. This is pretty notable because obviously if you're an elder millennial, you'll remember jingles, which were our previous way to like create a sonic sound or sonic music and connect it to a brand. But this is a little different. So in this survey, they had 75 Gen Zers polled and they asked them to identify the brand from the sonic sound and most of them were able to identify the brand and the sound together. So it's almost like taking a sonic sound that you can associate with a brand and also applying like a meme, like a sonic meme to it in order to really connect and create that brand recognition between Gen Z and sound and music. So there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm curious what you think about it, Mike. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I am not Gen Z. I'm an elder millennial. Um, so I feel like I do have a little bit of nostalgia around the idea of jingles. I even was, as you were talking, I was thinking about, um, I don't know if your parents had AOL when you were growing up, but it was like one of the big email providers. You've got mail. Yeah, exactly. Some of it, it had a really distinct startup sound when you opened it. But then of course, when you got an email and that you, you've got mail message, um, that'll never leave my memory, you know? So if we can, if there's ways to create that in the future and like these new marketing and like content environments that we exist in today, like social media, of course, um, that's really interesting. I feel like the brand beats terminology is kind of lame. Like it kind of sounds like, like a executive leadership team at an agency or a brand that was like, how do we rebrand jingles to be something that Gen Z's will like, you know, and they're like brand beats sounds hip. Let's go with that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's kind of chuggy if you ask me. Um, but also Chugi may be outdated already and now I sound silly. No, I think Chugi's still in. Cool. Um, but I think what's interesting to me is like we've we've been talking about this as an agency who really like lives and breathes content and like trends and um, what's happening online right now. Um, we've been thinking a lot about sonic branding and music and composing and, and whatnot. And um, obviously when it comes to social content, Brand accounts have a really limited library of sounds that they can use in the native platforms like TikTok or Instagram, for example, um, when you're assigning a track to your reel. So um, I think the easiest thing for brands to do in that case is then to go to other platforms like I'm just blanking completely on what the platforms are called, but licensing songs or music from kind of like a library platform. 
Um, but also what we've been learning is there, not all of those are indemnity free. Like you can still end up with licensing issues from those and it takes forever to sift through all the kind of like thousands and thousands of different sounds to find one that you think could be interesting for your content. Um, so, um, we were just at a conference recently called the gathering and one of the sessions was about sonic branding. And one of the things that I really liked about that session was that it was led a few of the people on the panel were DJs. So it wasn't just like creative directors from agencies or um, music label people, but um, I think it's so important that like DJs are part of this conversation because um, I assume you'd agree, but I feel like DJs have always been the ones that have been early to things, you know, like whether they're the ones Mm -hmm. that are putting their friends on to a new artist or a remix or just like curating the perfect, um, the perfect playlist for a party to get people on the dance floor, but also outside of just music, even like in their fashion and the way they present themselves and the way they engage with their communities and audiences. So the more we can think like DJs in this age of content and like involve them in the conversation is really, really interesting. And you see more brands right now too, actually investing in like original music for a singular piece of content that goes on social media, which is so cool. Um, but can also seem unachievable for some brands because that sounds expensive. But I think the more that becomes normalized, the more approachable pricing will become and the more um, music can really authentically become part of brand content and uh, like social content and even ad creative beyond just like the first like random hip hop instrumental track you find on a music library. Right. Yeah, I think the the music stuff, I feel like I can compute. The part that is hard for me is the sounds. Like, you know, like the sound of like, say, when you send a text message on your iPhone, that right. like that was produced and engineered to create like a, a memory and like a, a brain, I don't know what another word is, but a brain association a with release that. of dopamine. <laughs> Literally. So like, I think like in, in the article, they were also talking about like, you know, the XP startup sound was like, dun, 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 boop. Right. Like that has become a meme and that's like not music. It's like a sound. So like producing those sounds that people can like repurpose into like meme, like audio sonic memeing but then also connect it to your brand, that to me boggles my brain. Like I can't go past that. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's more and more people that know the science and like have mm-hmm. the ability to curate that. And it's I think if we don't overthink it, it can just easily become an extension to the like personality and tone of voice sections of our strategies where we talk about like how does the brand sound in copy? You know, like we can also kind of just make some, create some guidelines and, and establish a tone when it comes to different sounds. I even think about the early e-commerce cha-ching sound when the, when like the first like online stores were created and, and retailers started selling products online and there's like nostalgia around that. And, um, I don't think there was, that was like over architected, you know, it was just kind of a no brainer Mm -hmm. that if you made a sale, it would go cha-ching. And so, um, I think we just need to kind of normalize it and simplify it and um, try things too. I think being experimental and gathering some data and seeing how people react and listening to our customers and creating a feedback loop is just all part of the process on our other yeah. channels. So why not with sound as well? Speaking of jingles, what do you think is the most well-known jingle 
That's hard. I think when I think jingles, I associate it with radio. And so that gives me a bit of a negative connotation because I think like radio advertising in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in a lot of cases is a waste of money. And it's just a dated platform. Um, Obviously, if you just need like quick, like mass appeal, um, easy, easy action, easy call to action, then like radio could have a place. But what I think the I'm just going to go with the first jingle that comes to mind, and it's McDonald's. So, ba, 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 ba. Um, Ooh. But I, I was thinking, know. like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Really? State Farm? <laughs> yeah. Dang. And that's from TV, right? That's yeah, not that's from, from the commercials, not from radio. Yeah. Which I think they still use. I can't think of a jingle on TikTok. We should do a poll on Instagram and see, like, what jingles people associate with most and then like vote them against each other or something like that. Pick a winner. The most iconic jingle. The most iconic jingle. I like it. For elder millennials. Or Gen Z, like what jingles would they come up with? True. Cool. It's going to be different results. Well, there's more of that on Scan Club. Feel free to subscribe. You can subscribe and find it at arcadearcade.ca under the newsletter section. And hope to see you there. Also, we have two previous episodes on sonic branding and original music our first ever waves podcast episode season one episode one with ian rasmussen is about that and then we also recently did one um with joe belliotti and uh that was i think in season five six six last season we'll drop it in the show notes and uh for quick reference and i think we're cooking up another one a new one coming out of that panel we saw at the conference. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. I hope you enjoyed this solo episode with Mike and I. And if you haven't already, feel free to subscribe on all podcast platforms and leave us a review if you feel generous. See you later. Good luck in Q4. Bye.